Forensic Minds episode 8 today. Thank you so much for joining us. If you are joining us for the first time, we are a podcast aimed at those studying psychology, early career forensic psychologists, or those that are just interested in what it actually is forensic psychologists do. Before I begin, I would like to pay my respects to the traditional owners of the lands on which I am presenting today. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Before we launch into today's episode, I would like to put a disclaimer warning on this episode. We will be discussing sensitive themes, themes of uh, child abuse as well as suicide. So if you um, find that those themes do not sit well with you, then I would suggest turning the podcast off at this point. For those that are still listening now, my name is Madison Riachi. I am one of the co-hosts of the Forensic Minds Australia podcast and currently the student representative on the National Committee for the College of Forensic Psychologists. But today our host is Miriam Yunan. Miriam is a Master's of Forensic Psychology and PhD candidate at the University of New South Wales. Her research is examining the superficial cues that jurors rely upon when evaluating expert evidence. She is also currently completing a placement at New South Wales Justice and Forensic Mental Health Network with the Community Forensic Mental Health Service. Miriam is passionate about how forensic psychology can contribute to improving the lives of those involved in the criminal justice system, as well as the ways in which it can improve the legal system itself. Miriam is currently the student representative for the APS College of Forensic Psychologists, New South Wales Division. And our guest today is Suzette Snowden. Suzette is going to be speaking to us about her career as a forensic psychologist with a particular focus on her time as um, an assessor for the family law court as well as the children's court. Now, Suzette is a woman of many talents. She is a clinical and forensic psychologist as well as an educational and developmental psychologist. Now, Suzette commenced teaching in the private school system in New South Wales and Adelaide before completing her master's degree in Scotland. She worked at the University of Dundee Medical School, improving medical educational processes both in Scotland and Middle Eastern medical schools. Suzette has then won a research fellowship at Dundee University Medical School before winning a visiting scholarship at the University of Dalhousie Medical School, Halifax, Canada. She often presents papers in medical education conferences in Europe, USA and Canada. Suzette then won a scholarship enabling her to complete her PhD in the University of Melbourne. She commenced working in private practice over 29 years ago, commencing as an educational and developmental psychologist and a counselling psychologist. She completed a master's degree then in clinical psychology and after becoming a clinical psychologist, she then became a forensic psychologist. Suzette has worked as an authorised clinician at the New South Wales Children's Court for up to 15 years and has also worked with patients in the family law court system for many years as well. 
Suzette has had the privilege of now providing clinical and forensic psychological services to the community for over 29 years. She does many forensic assessments for courts and is often cross-examined in a range of court settings. She assesses and treats a wide range of disorders and works with a wide range of patients. Suzette has a very strong focus on developing a strong therapeutic relationship with her patients, which forms the basis for the success in therapy. She also has a strong focus on providing best practice both in terms of clinical and forensic assessments and treatment. Suzette is general is greatly sorry enjoyed um, her work in the field of psychology and is deeply grateful to the profession of psychology for enabling her to contribute to the community. And I'll pass on to Miriam and Suzette. All right. Well, Suzette, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for the opportunity. Oh, no, the, op- the pleasure and the opportunity is ours. I, I mean, this is going to be, I think, such an interesting episode because we're going to be talking about assessments for family law court and children's court. And I understand you've got quite a bit of experience in this area. Well, I have had the privilege of working with the children's court as an authorised clinician for up yeah. to 15 years. Wow. And I've also had the privilege of working um, with the family law court, but often as a family therapist as appointed by the court and earlier on having done some family reports. Mm -hmm. Well, on that note, could you tell us a bit about your career progression, especially as a a forensic psychologist? Well, I did. I became a forensic psychologist in November uh, 2010. I was very Mm. fortunate in that I was the last of the applicants who was allowed to present a range of research papers and psychological forensic assessments um, for consideration by the college to have membership. Mm. And, I mean, what was your interest then um, in becoming a forensic psychologist? Was it to actually be able to work in these court systems or forensic systems or was there a different interest for you? Well, I had been, I've been doing uh, psychology in private practice now for nearly up to 30 years wow. and I've had that privilege mm. and I've worked mainly in the aubrey Wodonga area and now I do practice in South Yarra but during that time it was made very clear to me by my supervisors that I was finding myself doing a huge amount of forensic work mm. and I had become a clinical psychologist um, well before that uh, and yeah. I just thought, well, I may as well update, particularly given my immersion in this forensic work, I thought it was my responsibility to be able to do the work within a a more sophisticated context. Mm -hmm. Mm. Right. And so so you said you've got, um, it was 15 years experience in the children's court. Is that right? Yes, up to 15 years, up, right. and I was doing many, many, many reports as an yes. authorised clinician for the New South Wales Children's Court Clinic. Yeah, and you've also been an off, like an authorised clinician in Family Law Court. No, I have not been an authorised clinician or mm-hmm. authorised report writer, but right. I have done many family reports in the past. Right, and right. I have often been instructed by the family law courts to provide family therapy or psychological yeah. assistance. Okay, interesting. Patients. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is one of those things, right? It's It can be hard for 
someone who's early in their career to understand these sorts of systems. I feel like children's court and the family law systems can be quite, you know, complicated and tricky to understand and navigate. And I was wondering if there are any differences between working in a family law system versus a children's court as a psychologist. There are overlaps, but there are significant differences. Mm. One senior clinician deliberately described the difference in this way, and I, I have always remembered. In your family law court is the most dangerous of all, while the children's court is the most horrific of all. That's an interesting distinction. Now I can describe the differences. Would that be helpful? Yeah, yeah okay. of course. We were in the children's court in my capacity as an authorised clinician, essentially we were, just, we were described by the Children's Court Clinic as being the eyes and ears for the judges. Mm. That is, in the Children's Court, we were considered to be a member of the court. The right. Children's Court tends to hear matters pertaining to parenting capacity assessments mm-hmm. within the uh, Department of Child Protection Services and juvenile criminal cases. The Family Law Court, on the other hand, uh, really deals with matters pertaining to access arrangements for for the children with their parents where there have been separations and also property matters. The Family Law Court matters, in my experience, have more players, including a critical player is the independent children's lawyer. We call them the ICLs. The applicant, the respondent and their respective legal teams the report writers appointed by the court, the family therapists appointed by the court, and the judge and the registrars who often act for the judges. And, and ICL plays a lot of, uh, has a huge amount of influence in the court, and the ICL is influenced by the specialists, including the report writers, the family therapists, and other appointed specialists conducting psychological and psychiatric reports. Yeah. The family law court, in my experience, there are far more hoops for the families to go through to have their issues resolved. Um, You know, what? I'm really interested in that distinction that was um, conveyed to you um, earlier in your career about children's court being horrific and then family court, like the family system being dangerous. Could you share some insight into why that would be, you know, that would be communicated to you? Well, the communication to me was actually reality-based. Yeah. I'll give you an example of a horrific case with the children's court. This was many years ago in a small country town, but a very rough country town in which drugs were very prominent, Mm -hmm. north of Albury. Now, I used to do the assessments in the actual houses of the families. I got to a stage where it was too dangerous for me to do so. So I then had the families coming to the practice. But you often gain far more insight in the houses where the parents were residing. And I always was particular about thanking the families for allowing me to have input and access into their homes. I was always extremely polite and grateful. What you must have in this at this level of operation mm-hmm. in the profession, what you must have is excellent supervision. Mm. It is absolutely paramount. The number of cases I have dealt with that are deeply, deeply challenging and how grateful I have been to have had the opportunity for supervision with very senior forensic and clinical psychologists who have mm-hmm. been able to 
allow me to debrief as well as offering me guidance. Yeah. The profession itself is an extremely emotionally rich profession. We have the yes. opportunity for this level of supervision. We are very, very fortunate indeed. Yes, I mean, I would, I, you know, couldn't imagine, you know, being in this sort of profession without the supervision of, you know, people who've got the experience and who are able to offer you a different perspective, but also just offer you an ear just for you to debrief something as sensitive and complex as that. I'll give you another example. And this yeah. was eventually why I left um, and did not do any more of the assessment in the uh, children in the actual families' houses. The police said to me, it's too dangerous, Suzette. You actually almost need a police guard. I said, okay. Wow. I will never forget this. I made sure I drove an old car to this home and it was in a fairly socially, emotionally compromised area. Mm -hmm. I had the Department of, of Family and Community Services case manager outside waiting, so I had a form of protection. But I hadn't realised that she had left and I understood because it was a long assessment and she got sick of it. Anyway, I'm with the mother and I've done this comprehensive assessment with her. Towards the end, the mother goes into a psychotic state. I had known in my own mind that the woman was highly dissociative mm -hmm. as a result of complex PTSD and there had been antisocial personality features. And she, I saw the switch in her. And then she became terribly angry at me because she saw me as the Department of Family and Community Services. Okay. And she started to move towards me. And she was a very big woman and had a history of violence. Mm -hmm. I knew what I had to do. I became deeply calm. I thanked her very much for the opportunity of having the assessment with her. I very quietly, non-obtrusively, picked up my belongings and quietly left the house. Mm -hmm. She followed me to the car. I made sure I kept the window of the car, the driver's side car down. I said, sweetheart, I would really like you to come into the practice on the Monday. Please, will you come in on the Monday? Mm -hmm. She came in on the Monday and she apologised to me and I said, I would like to thank you very, very much. I knew you were not well. I wrote in detail to the court in the report everything that had happened. It was very clear to the judge that I had shown the woman remarkable respect and had given her the opportunity to recognise what had happened. And I also described in detail how I was also placed in a situation of severe risk. Mm -hmm. After that, I made the decision. I discussed it with the director of the children's court never to go back to their homes. Mm -hmm. It's a very interesting point, isn't it, about risk and what, you know, you know, the risky components of a, a typical assessment. And, I, you know, I was wondering if you can just tell us on that note a bit about what these assessments look like to begin with, because I would imagine that some people who don't know about this field um, couldn't even begin to imagine what these assessments could look like. Well, first of all, there is a huge amount of background reading. Mm -hmm. Invariably, in the children's court setting, there is a long history of child protection. For it to reach the level of the children's court clinic, 
there is normally years of background information. So you have to be prepared to set aside time to gain to gain insight. Yeah. Secondly, you must have settings in which you can protect the various patients who are presenting. There are often AVOs and interim um, uh, intervention orders uh, between the parties, so one mm-hmm. party can't see the other. So you have to have a way of managing that. They have to be separate rooms. Mm-hmm. Another thing is that it's an extremely important thing in these forensic assessments to actually come in with a certain attitude. Yeah. I am deeply humanistic in my approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you would like to describe my religion in inverted commas, it is humanism. It's the ability and it's the ability to utilise opportunities for human development and progress. Mm-hmm. Within that context, it is extremely important in this work to be non-judgmental. It is very easy to show judgment in subtle non-verbal ways, the slight sneer, the rolling of the eyes. Yes. That is completely, absolutely inappropriate. Mm-hmm. It is not for the forensic psychologist to judge. Their role is to provide appropriate research-based forensic assessment based upon review of background information, behavioural observations, forensic interviews and appropriate formal psychological testing. It is their place to provide a very evidence-based analysis that sets the framework for a very sound formulation, diagnosis, recommendations, and if necessary, the appropriate treatment plans. The concept of the respect for these patients cannot be underestimated because people who are vulnerable, and these people are indeed deeply vulnerable, They're vulnerable in economic ways, social ways, occupational ways, their standing, what they've been through, their exposure to criminality, their committing of criminality, their involvement in law and order, often incarceration. What is extremely important is the capacity for emotional connection with these people, but within the framework of having functional detachment. Mm -hmm. These people can read you like a book. They are so accustomed to using their non-conscious to read social cues, Mm -hmm. you can't put anything over most of them. Mm -hmm. So if you go into an assessment, a children's court assessment, within that framework, you're already having a very good start. Mm -hmm. The assessments must be extremely well structured. I I would always describe to the various parties involved This is the way the assessments are going to be structured, step one, step two, step three, step four. Mm -hmm. I would often require of the department that they have some form of official there to help manage the children when the children are alone. Because if I'm working with the parent, for example, alone, where are the children? What are they doing? Who's out there with them? So the department would be very kind and allocate some form of official. It may be a caseworker. It may be a um, it may be an officer who they have employed. But normally they've been very helpful, and I've made sure they are very comfortable as well. Mm-hmm. So there must be support 
in addition to what you can offer. Also in these assessments, it is not the role of the office manager to in any way be helping in managing the children because that would provide the framework for a work cover claim. You must have people from the department who can actually be there in an unobtrusive manner and a supportive manner, helping manage the people like the children and the patient, the parents, while you are in the room conducting the assessment. Right. So what is paramount is organisation and having a clear structure in your mind. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if a family presents, I may say, okay, the mother is going to present with the children initially and we go through, it may be observation of the mother with the child, mm -hmm. uh, the children with the mother, that may take a little while. And then during the assessment process with the mother, that's an ongoing process. You then may work individually with the children. You then may work with the mother by herself and doing the assessment, gaining psychological assessment, mother and so on. Mm -hmm. have the opportunity to form a psychological assessment if their intellectual and reading capacity enables it. In the children's court, it is very important to do screening, uh, IQ tests such as the Stanford Binet abbreviated battery, mm -hmm. uh, or and also doing must be you must do very quick uh, literacy assessments using something like the wide range achievement test word the reading the word reading and the sentence comprehension to make sure they've got the reading levels required right. sometimes let's say in, in gaining an insight into the adaptive behaviors of the children sometimes you require the foster parents uh, to complete the forms then it may be the father's turn if in fact that's the case so everything has to be very properly managed people by and large come from chaos yes and the very fact that they are in the children's court have come to the notice of the departments of child uh, child protection by definition they are not able to manage themselves mm -hmm. so how would you expect them to be able to manage themselves in a very stressful environment in which they perceive to be stressful because they are being assessed yeah mm-hmm Everything has to be about down-regulation emotionally for these people. Mm -hmm. Calmness. Particularly where you get rage in some of the participants. I've had situations where women who have organised the murder of their former partners because they didn't want to have, uh, they didn't want the former partner to have access to the child. Mm -hmm. So the... Uh, these are situations. I've, being in a country town, you hear, you just know about things. Right. The situation where the bikies came in, I knew the father. I'd said to the father in the children's court clinic assessment, you're the only one that can manage this child. And he had had a severe antisocial personality disorder, huge criminal history, in and out of jail. The child was, the son was actually very much the same. He had the same ADHD, the same conduct disorder tendencies and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And the father said, I know, I know I am. Before the father got that child, the night before he was due to have that child, the bikies came in. The mother had been apparently doing head jobs with the bikies. The bikies came in, they took it out, made it look like a suicide that he was murdered. Mm. In the meantime, the mother, during the actual assessment, not the stepmother, had been screaming, screaming at full loud, at full voice in a highly abusive manner about him getting the children. She had a long record. I was a, naturally involved with departmental officials that get the police involved. 
these assessments are often highly volatile. Mm. Mm. And you're faced, you're face to face with the horror, the horror of their wounds. It's it's one of those things that it's an assess- it's not a simple assessment, is it? There's a lot involved. No. I'm hearing that, you know, I'm hearing you've got to you got to look for a lot of background information. You've got to do interviews with all the relevant parties. You've got to do observation. You need to think about all the logistics of, you know, if certain parties can't see each other, if there's some hostility, and you need to factor all that in whilst also being non-judgmental being respectful, being aware of the framework that you're working within, it really does sound like a lot. And I'm wondering then if there are, you know, if you, besides some of the challenges you've already, you know, outlined with risk and hostility, whether there are any other challenges that you've found with doing these kinds of assessments? Well, what in, in order to protect myself and the office manager, because I have a, a responsibility to staff, as well as protecting the actual um, patients and the children. Very often where I felt it was going to be a more dangerous assessment, I would always let the Children's Court Clinic know that I had let the inform the New South Wales Police that these were the parties involved and if I they do get an emergency warning, as well as the security companies, I went, you must always have back-to-base security. I would let them know so that if there was any uh, call from us, they would come immediately. And I've always found these agencies very helpful indeed. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious about how long these assessments take. I mean, I'm thinking about your typical day as a, a forensic psychologist. And well, these assessments would take, it depends upon the presentation, but you'd be easily leaving a morning from nine o'clock in the morning all the way through until maybe three o'clock in the afternoon to do the assessments. It may even be longer. Sometimes you'll be accessing information like ringing up um, stakeholders whom you have signed permission. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you've got the um, very diff- the challenging task of putting it all together in a very coherent and readable form that is evidentially based and where the reader of the reports, namely the judges, um, understand that the formulation we put is very reasonable. Right. And of course, there, there is that. There is not just the assessment, but you need to go ahead and put it, all your findings in a report where you simply communicate, you know, your, your, your opinions and your evidence-based recommendations. And I imagine that would also be quite challenging too. Oh, yes. You have to, you have to know what you're doing. And, yeah. and, and, and what happens, you improve over time. And mm-hmm. this is the role, I remember... I was always very grateful to be able to go to the children's court clinic training days. They were always very helpful. Mm-hmm. I would then liaise with other clinicians there and then being able to um, send it to the children's court. And if they ever had any concerns, they, they would contact you, but they very had very rarely had any concerns with my reports. Mm-hmm. And, of course, being able to review your work with supervisors who have similar experiences is extremely valuable. I think I'm getting the correct vibe that this is, you know, very, very challenging work, very complex work. And I feel like with that complexity and the challenge, there is certainly room for reward. And I wonder for you, what are some of those rewarding aspects in in this line of work? Well, coming as a humanist, 
I have a very keen awareness of the privilege that I have of being involved in the lives of these patients in whatever mm-hmm. capacity they are presenting and the opportunity to really understand their point of view and contribute to their awareness of how they can improve their parenting capacity in order to have their children return to their care. Mm-hmm. That is a, in and of itself a huge reward. So it's it's the idea of intrinsic reward rather than extrinsic reward. Yeah. So I have always been driven by an intrinsic reward system, doing the work for its own sake. Now, naturally, there has to be income that accompanies this and so on and so forth. But if you go into the work with only the idea of extrinsic reward, I don't think it works. Yes. So you must go in with a conceptual framework and a value framework yourself. So the reward is knowing that you have been able to impact so productively on lives and you can see it in their faces. It's very, very nice. Another is um, knowing that you have been able to protect children like that little girl I spoke of who drew drew the sexualised component of the presentation. Yeah. Another reward, and this may sound a strange uh, thing to say, Mm-hmm. It is actually the sheer privilege of having a complex puzzle to solve, allow you to have access into their lives in such a way that they open up and you gain more and more insight into the complexity of their presentations. I think I think all of those are really, really beautiful rewards that you get to impact on children's lives. You get to, you know, be in, you know, come into this what is like a chaotic, a chaotic situation. <laughs> And add some structure there, be a helping hand, but also at the same time, you know, you've got training, you've got experience, and you're able to bring that to the table to, you know, bring some clarity to what is a really, really complicated situation. I think those are all really fantastic rewards, actually. Yes, and I think the better rewards are the intrinsic ones. Of course, yeah. And I'll tell you another reward. This is a very important reward. This is extremely precious, Miriam. And that is having been in the Aubrey-Wodonka community now for, I've lived there for 35 years, but I've been providing these psychological services for uh, over 29 years. Mm-hmm. I have many patients now presenting where they were participants in the Children's Court Clinic Assessments idea. And here they are. They may be the they may be the uh, grandparents of the children. They may be the parents of the children. They may even be the children themselves. They come back and see me, mm-hmm. and this may be ten years later. Wow! And now they're my patients, and the sheer joy of having them. One thing that uh, you're offered in a small community like this is the sheer opportunity of you you, you work with patients when the five or 11 years of age, it can maybe the children's court, other capacities, and then they come back to see you for other issues in their 20s or 30s. Often happens. Hence the importance of this humanistic approach where you have an emotional and functional detachment, but you're conducting the assessments within a humanistic framework, highly forensically orientated, being deeply non-judgmental, Having the capacity to allow these people to connect with you so they feel heard, so you hear it all, they spill it all out, then being able to do the formal psychological testing, then putting this huge puzzle into a picture that makes sense Mm -hmm. so the right decisions are made. 
it really does sound like an equally rewarding and challenging profession with the challenges, with those really intense challenges. There are those really intense rewards as well. I'm imagining as well that you've learned a lot. You've learned a lot in what you've done. And can you tell me about your biggest learnings and how that's affected the way you, you work as a clinician? You can answer that in many ways. Of course. One learning is, is purely the greater sophistication conceptually of the nature of presentations and the diagnostic systems and how things fit. And that's a more academic, intellectual um, role in our yes. work. Another is being able to work within that framework and utilising that framework to make sense of the world. So you're bringing this conceptualisation with you to make sense of the complexity of the presenting information. Mm-hmm. That's another learning. Another learning, and this one is interesting, and I know people will appreciate this, is the capacity to function very professionally as an expert witness mm-hmm. in a confident and informed manner. Mm-hmm. It is very important to learn the skills involved in cross-examination. And you learn this by the world of hard knocks. And anyone who says to you, oh, I went through my first cross-examination very well, I think they're probably kidding themselves. (laughs) A key skill is to be well-prepared. You must know your stuff. Another is to be able to say to the judge, my memory fails me, your worship, may I please refer to my file information. Being able to know that you have time Mm. The barristers on the presenting side will often try to dysregulate the expert witness emotionally and even behaviourally. Mm-hmm. Knowing it is a game, that is what they are trying to do. As one barrister said to me, well, Suzette, you don't flip-flop, do you? That's actually really, really a really good learning, isn't it? <laughs> you learn quickly not to flip-flop, I can tell you. And also being able to develop and retain a good relationship with the judge or magistrate. Yes, yes. It is very important to retain very sound eye contact with the judge. Many a time I have not looked at the barristers and I have retained eye contact with the judge and they look at you and you look at them and you do not take your eyes off the judge. The judge gets the message well and truly and you must as I've said before, not flip-flop. Do Mm. not be intimidated. Mm. So you go in there with an attitude, I am here to do the right thing, I am here to give the court appropriate information, and you lot will behave yourselves. So you go in with that framework and you will not Mm flip-flop. I feel like no one's going to forget that, flip-flop. No No one's, that's the best (laughs) advice. It's good advice. Don't flip-flop. <laughs> because mm. it's a highly adversarial environment. They are there not to at a personal level but at a professional level to compromise you so they're sideways. I'm sensing that it's one of those things where you, you develop it with experience but just to have oh, that yes. calm demeanour and, again, like you were saying, just acknowledging that you've got time, you don't need to respond straight away. You can take your time with it so that you're able to be thoughtful in the way you respond. What's extremely important in being an expert witness is going in with a certain philosophical view. I am not a person driven by the ego. 
I am a person driven deeply by an interactional approach as the formation of the sense of self. Mm -hmm. So I go into these situations realising my responsibility. It is not about me. It is about my responsibility to the patient to do the right thing in order to represent the information in a candid, credible, objective, emotionally detached, forthright, and sensible manner. Mm -hmm. When you go in with that attitude, you become a much more powerful player within the process because the ego is removed. That is a very, very wise way of putting it in terms of what your what the role is and how you should approach what is actually truly it's a legal process and you're in it as as a psychologist and trying to find your your rightful place in that I'm wondering there are going to be early career psychologists who are going to be very interested interested in gaining the experience that you've got and what advice would you give to someone who's starting out in this field wanting to be a forensic psychologist but also wanting to work in the family law or children's court systems what advice would you give to them so that they could be successful in their career i think in terms of being successful in those fields applies to many many other fields right i've talked to people about how to be successful in psychology in the family law court in the children's court if they wanted to do law they're wanting to do uh, business, whatever. And uh, there are some general points I would put that must never be underestimated in terms of their importance. Mm. One is to always be willing to work hard. So for example, I've said to many patients or many professionals, so you want to improve your place, do you? Yes. Then you're going to have to gain more qualifications. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to do this extra work. Mm-hmm. Okay, so knowing what you have to achieve, so you do what you have to do within the academic system. Yes. And that is your responsibility. Secondly, is to always understand that you can have a career and ambition, but life doesn't always allow it. So, for instance, the COVID crisis comes on and some of our dreams are more difficult to realise. There are sometimes external circumstances. Always made an attempt to get along with people. In my own life, I've had, I look back at my life and I think, how on earth did I do all this? (laughs) It is extremely important to always be thoughtful to people. I push and push with patients the idea of being strong, not because you're better than anybody else. I really abhor narcissism. You be strong because then that gives you a much better capacity to meet your social responsibility. So there's no nonsense in your life. You make sure all the boundaries are there. Mm-hmm. When you're able to actually be thoughtful and think of other people, it's funny. Life just falls into place. So, if, for instance, you're wanting to gain access into that the career pathway or you're wanting to apply for the children's court clinic, mm-hmm. when in your life you've always been thoughtful to the doctors or thoughtful to this one or thoughtful to that one, you need the references. Yes. I can't. I can't. They're falling over themselves to write the references because you've offered those people emotional safety and security, so they want you to get on. You Mm -hmm. don't do it for that reason, but this is what comes of a humanistic approach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So in your career planning, it's so important to go into your career with a way of looking at the world from a perspective that is very value positively driven. So the processes themselves aren't hard. So you apply to become a member of the children's court. Well, you have to meet this criteria, you have to meet that criteria, and you've got to have this information, that information, children's checks and this and that. All that's just step by step. But you have to have access to the human resources. So by having this approach of always um, having that theory of mind foundation, looking out for people, Mm-hmm. What you've created is an environment in which you have provided emotional safety and security to many people. Now, you're not doing this from a manipulative perspective. You're doing it because it's the right thing to do. Yes. And before you know it, you've got references coming out of your ears. I really like, I really, I really like that advice. It's, um, it's to just be, obviously, you've got to do the technical aspects, make sure you're getting the education and the training because that's, you do need that to be informed. But at the same time, just being genuine and having that care for other people as well because that is actually the right thing to do. And that's, I think that's why a lot of us come into this field to begin with is because we have that care. And um, what helps in this field, again, is functional humility. Mm-hmm. Not, not being self-sacrificial. That's a different phenomenon altogether. I really and I really like that because I do feel like there's a bit of a challenge with people trying to, especially in this field, in trying to under in trying to make that balance between being emotionally connected, but at the same time being professional. And I do feel like that functional is that nice balance where you're be you're being both at the same time. That's right. You've put it nicely, Miriam. You've already summarized that nicely, Miriam. Well done. Thank you, Suzette. I wanted to. I wanted to thank you so much for your time with us today. This was honestly really informative. And of course, we're very appreciative as, you know, the forensic community that you've taken the time today to walk us through your your wealth of experience. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Miriam. And thank thank you you for the opportunity. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. And that concludes episode eight of Forensic Minds. Thank you so much to Dr. Soden for her time. And thank you for Miriam for that interview as well. Join us next time on Forensic Minds, where it will be a panel interview with the two heads of the forensic programs in Australia. See you then.